Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome to Cinefix. Once again, I am not Clint Gage, but I and am Alex Stedman, and we're doing another episode of the Cinefix Not 100. You heard right. Not on our top 100, but we are talking about a movie today, and I am joined by another familiar face, our my ATF agent, Michael Calibro. How you doing? Good. I thought I thought we were going to smuggle a half million dollars you on know, the Cabo. You know, I actually went back and forth about what I was if I was going to do, like, you know, gun smuggler or ATF agent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is, we're talking about a movie that is on only your list, Cal, yeah. but not anybody else's. Tell yeah. us what it is. We're talking about Jackie Brown. That's right. The third junior picture, I guess, from Quentin Tarantino. You know, I think this is probably his most like under the radar movie. And I'm really excited to talk about it. Like, I wouldn't disagree. I mean, I think Death Proof is up there. Um, but I gotta say, I, I'm surprised as, as this as a pick for you. I, I, it's, it's yes, it's a crime movie, which we all know Cal is a sucker for. But I, I don't. It's, it's longer than I know you like movies to be. Is, is this like the only Tarantino on your list? I'm curious. No, it's not the only Tarantino on my list. I. Is it your favorite Tarantino? No, it's not that, that one either. No. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I won't spoil. Like, I I still rep Pulp Fiction. I don't. I, I that makes me think we're gonna yeah. talk Pulp Fiction pretty soon because it's, right. <laughs> it's up there for I me. Think, I think that's like a lot of people's like gateway to movies. That that particular movie, it's like that first time where like I saw it as a teenager, and it's like it clicks where it's like, oh, movies are kind of like art as opposed to entertainment. Yeah, you know, and it's like anyway. Pulp Fiction's real high, like is is real high on my list. I very much love that movie. This would have been a movie I saw shortly afterwards, because right, like like when you talk about like a young a young like budding cinephile who's like trying to like consume all of Tarantino and stuff like that, you may start with either Reservoir Dogs or you start with Pulp Fiction, but you watch both of those one after the other. Whatever one you've seen first, like you see the other one next, and. This I would I saw this movie for the first time like when I was going on my initial Quentin Tarantino kick when I was like in high school. So that would have put me as like a, a sophomore in high school. That would have been around 2002. So this would have been the only movies available because I remember being like an established Quentin Tarantino fan when Kill Bill cam- came out. That must have been fun yeah. for you. <laughs> so I was just like, whoa, I get to go see a Kill Bill movie, like a, the yeah. Quentin Tarantino movie in a theater. And I distinctly remember watching this movie for the first time and being kind of underwhelmed by it. Then as like the decades progressed, I keep on like, I watch it every now and then. And every time it's just like, damn, this movie is better than I thought. And like, damn, this movie is even better than I thought. And like, once I got to like the fourth time and like, you know, like three to four years apart of watching it, it's just like, this movie rips. And I think that this movie is like the movie that aged the best out of Tarantino stuff. Like, I think it's like a movie that like, he's done a lot of stuff that just like either came out as an instant classic and has always been that, or it hasn't, but like, like this is like a snow, like this movie started as a snowball and grew into an avalanche, I think. And I very much, I think the best 
the best um, analogy I can make for this movie is I think that this is Quinn, Quentin Tarantino's Burn After Reading. And like Burn After Reading is another great movie. But like what do you do after you make your masterpiece? I mean, there was this was a really interesting time for Quentin, yeah, because yeah, it was ju- it was his follow up to Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Um, we'll talk more about where this stands, I think, in in Quentin's overall filmography. It's it's interesting though because I feel like you had a more typical experience uh, with this movie than I did. Having this was actually, despite not being my favorite Tarantino, this was my gateway into Tarantino. Really, this was your this first was my Tarantino first movie. Tarantino movie. Yeah, uh, my grandma showed it to me when I was a teenager, and I I, I feel like I say your a lot. Your grandma, my grandma. Yeah. And Wait, like, tell me, first off, what was your grandma's name? How is this a grandma? Shout out to Beverly. Yeah. She's a, and I will, I, I often say that I didn't grow up with a lot of cinephiles around me. I will say that my grandma is probably the exception to that. Um, she is the one who, as I said, just uh, got me into Tarantino with Jackie Brown. Yep. Uh, she was the one who got me into Hitchcock. She took me to a screening of The Birds with Tippi Hedren there. Um, so shout out to Beverly. She, Hey, Beverly, you rule. Um, no, she showed it to me because she was a flight attendant. And so it was, cool. I know, right? Yeah. Like, okay. it's like a, like a cool, like, and I, and I, yeah, I looked at her a lot cooler after that. But yeah, that was, this was my first Tarantino, which, like I said, I feel like is really unusual. Like, I feel yeah. like most yeah. people's is like, like yours, like Pulp Fiction or Reservoir Dogs. Um, but it's a really interesting way to start with Tarantino because I feel like in a lot of ways, it's not like any of his other movies. I agree. I think yeah. it's his most traditional one, which is why I think it flies under the radar so much. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I couldn't stop, but like, I don't want to go off too much of a tangent yet, but I couldn't stop thinking about actually his next movie, The Film Critic, while I was watching it, because I wouldn't be surprised if The Film Critic is more like Jackie Brown than any of his other movies. Like you look at like Once Upon a Time and that feels like almost this big bombastic ma- magnum opus where it's like the film, from what I know of it, it looks like this could be a much quiet, not quieter, but, you know, a much more contained movie like Jackie Brown is. That's what really struck me on a rewatch. And I will say, I, I haven't returned to Jackie Brown since I watched, since, since my badass grandma showed it to me when I was a teenager. Um, but I, I watched it last night or a couple nights ago and really enjoyed it. Like it is a, it is a solid heist movie. Um, I don't think it's the most memorable of Quentin's films, but you know, I enjoyed it. I, no, I, I, I like him. Yeah. I don't think it's the most memorable of his either. As a matter of fact, like what I, what I actually really like about it is that it feels it feels like both a traditional, like a good traditional crime movie and a Quentin Tarantino movie at the same time. But it's just like it's a quint it's like a traditional crime movie first and a Tarantino movie second. Like it still has like the Tarantino like dialogue flourishes, but like it's not doing anything weird with the time. It has no gimmicks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and yeah. like like Reservoir Dogs had a gimmick. I love Reservoir Dogs, but like not showing the robbery is a gimmick, right? And like Pulp Fiction of like the time invert, like not the inversion, but the out of order sequencing, especially like I know that like everything Quentin Tarantino does is borrowed and adapted from something else. But like when Pulp Fiction, I assume hit in 1994. And then when I saw it back in like what the early two thousands, like that felt fresh and new and cool. And there is nothing fresh, new or cool about Jackie Brown. Well, Jackie Brown's cool as like, I think she's with the fresh. Yeah. 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 yeah, Like she's, but like, as far as like structural, like structurally narratively or filmmaking from a filmmaking innovation standpoint, like it doesn't do anything new. It's just a really well, like it it doesn't reinvent the wheel. It's just like a really nice wheel. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I am excited to dive into it more. So let's just do that. Um, and by the way, like I said, this is an episode of the Not 100. So at the end, Cal is going to tell us where it is on his list and only his list. And then we'll, we'll reveal where that gets you in our little Billingsley bag. Look at this. Can we just... Someone's a fan. Someone's every, a fan. Every, every other one Someone's of those says fan. top 100, no. and then this and is customized. Yeah. Shout out, shout out to Tayo, our, our producer. Um, but yeah, let's get into the pedigree. Uh, yeah. So we've already talked about him a lot. It's Quentin. So like you said, it was his follow-up to uh, Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Um, 97, the last of his 90s movies. And I also find interesting, I didn't really think about this until I looked up, I, I was looking everything up. It is the longest, after Jackie Brown, he takes the longest break of his career thus far. Yeah, because yeah, so, it comes like, Kill Bill 1 is what, 2002, 2003? Yeah, so it's six years. Yeah. And we haven't, I mean, we'll probably have a gap that long in between Once Upon a Time and The Movie Critic. Yeah. Um, but he, His yeah. Last film. La, uh, yeah. And Astrid's important. Yeah. Um, no, but I, I, uh, I, I don't know if I want to say my favorite Tarantino because that's just a big old spoiler. I feel, I'll say it, whatever. Um, my favorite is Kill Bill Volume 1. Um, but I, this is a really good movie. And like we said, it, what really strikes me too is how it's, his probably his least violent movie. This? Yeah. Oh, without question. There's yeah. only like two. Well, there there's two deaths. deaths. There's deaths in it, but you, even the, like you don't fully see them either. It's like even when uh, Melanie is shot in the parking lot, you yep. it's, it happens off screen. Yeah. I, I Beaumont oh, like, is done in an, an incredible. No, it's yeah. not off screen. It's on screen. It's just a yeah. super wide shot. Yeah, thing. it's basically off screen. Yeah, yeah. But it's not. He's, I mean, yeah. he's like three pixels, but it's three pixels of the screen. We'll talk more about Beaumont because I like I like Beaumont as a character. Um, and then Lewis, like I feel like that's very intentionally. You see him kill like you, you see it from the yep. back yep that's the third but also great de niro performance and a real offbeat de niro performance yeah I, he's just playing a dude in this i love it's one of the few idiots i think he's played yeah uh, that's a good point yeah what other idiots has he played i don't I know i think you can make the argument argument that rupert pumpkin or pumpkin is okay but it's different right like at least like rupert had like drive and like part of the reason why you would like i'm not gonna go as far as to call rupert pumpkin stupid i'm just saying that he doesn't pick up on social cues yeah and that is like the driving tension of that movie okay. i don't know if you've ever seen no. the king of comedy but like it's like an it's like a less violent taxi driver and it's like you know it's like playing up scenes where it's like i'm here to see him and then she's like i'm sorry he's in a meeting and then she, he's like okay i'll wait and like doesn't pick like it's like a lot of scenes where he's like he doesn't pick up on the euphemism that it's like they're not gonna see you so he just kind of like you know avoid like isn't isn't afraid of social awkwardness to get what he wants you could say that about lewis i think think lewis is just a boob though like he just kind of got out of the pan and he's just like well let me call up my buddy that i used to serve with like 20 years ago and see if he needs any like if he needs a you know a, a goon well, what I like about Lewis is I feel like you just constantly see it building. Like, y- you know this guy's history. You know, you know, he, he was in jail. Uh, with, he's a bank robber. He's a bank robber. Um, and you can tell that he's, like, really trying not to not to snap, not to snap. And then he has that moment, that great moment, which we'll talk about more because it is, <laughs> I think it might be my favorite moment, where he just snaps. He's, a, he's such a good character. And um, 
But yeah, we'll talk more. We'll talk more about Lewis. Uh, as far as cinematography goes, uh, that was Guillermo Navarro, who is not a name I'm super familiar with. Are you super familiar with him? No, I'm not. Should I know who he is? Yes. I was like, I should know who this guy is. Uh, he would go on to win an Oscar for Pan's Labyrinth. Um, Ooh, okay. He worked on a bunch of blockbusters, Hellboys, The Thura, Night so, at the Museum, so he's, the uh, so he's like uh, Guillermo's guy. You yeah, were you were yeah. with Guillermo a lot, and I and I tried to find too if he had worked with Tarantino on anything else. I mean, he kind oh, of yeah. did. He's definitely been Guillermo's guy. He did Kronos. I know, I know. Yeah. Like he he's definitely, but like he didn't work really with Tarantino again, except for Dust Till Dawn, which wasn't directed by Quentin but was written by him. So like kind of roundabout, but like this was the only uh, Quentin collaboration. I found that very interesting. Um, yeah. Obviously, because I agree with you, I would I would say that. Um, uh, from Dust Till Dawn is more of a Robert Rodriguez. It totally is. It totally yeah. is. Yeah. Um, of course, it was written by Quentin from a book, uh, El- Elmore Leonard's Rum Punch. Have you ever read that? I have not read Rum Punch, but I very much am a fan of uh, Elmore Leonard. Uh, this is this is like a quintessential Elmore Leonard kind of movie. Like, And it's nice to see that it was like two mi- being made at the same time, right? So it's not only like this one that was being made by... Uh, uh, Quentin Tarantino, but Out of Sight, which was made by Soderbergh, mm-hmm. which is also like a fun. Like, I like Out of Sight, yeah. Yeah. Also, were you trying to make a pun with a, a quintessential? No, but there you go. I am now. <laughs> if I have to tell you to shut up one more time, I'm gonna shut you up. The real star here is Pam Greer. Oh, like, without question. Without, I mean, she's the title character, um, but it's something that I feel like. Quentin is really good at is kind of taking these characters who haven't had their big lead role yet and and evoking this kind of, you know, and, and behind the scenes stuff aside, because we do know about some of the stuff with Uma Thurman, but I mean, he just evokes this great performance out of Pam Greer. Yeah. Like she just, and I really, really, I think revisiting this movie, I really appreciate it more just because of her character. And one thing that I really like about this and, and Kill Bill, it's, the women are are obviously like gorgeous women and they're very captivating, but they're not, I feel like they're not sexy because they're sexualized. No, I don't think yeah. Pam Greer is sexualized in no. this at like, all. I mean, they make, they definitely comment that she is an attractive woman. And she is. Yeah, yeah. without question, right? Yeah. Like, But like no one is like, she doesn't have sex in this film, like nothing like that. You know, she's always like, she's either wearing her like her stewardess outfit or she is, um, wearing that power suit, mm-hmm. you know? And I would even like, this might sound counterintuitive, I don't even think Melanie is that sex. Like, yes, she's in Daisy Dukes in a bikini top the entire movie, but I feel like the, it never like kind of lingers on and like on her, like, I mean, it lingers on her, on her feet. We all know that. Yeah. Uh, I think she's pretty sexualized. Cause then the, like one of my favorite scenes at the bar was like when when um, uh, De Niro and, and uh, Samuel L. are talking and he's just like, but you had sex with her. He's like, yeah, I, you know, I, I don't know. It's but like, it's so, so unglamorous, that yeah, scene. Yeah. It's, but just it's just like, it's like, like the scene where he's just like, yeah, I don't know. It's, it, like, I don't know. Is she like your girlfriend or whatever? She's like, she's like, I just thought she was your girlfriend. And he's like, and you still had sex with her. And he's like, yeah, you know, he's like, <laughs> well, I hope you felt appropriately guilty. And he's like, I did. <laughs> I love that scene. Yeah. But like, you also get the, and I think even in that scene, um, uh, Samuel says like, oh, she's not very good at it, but yeah. she'll do it. Like yeah. you, you totally get the idea that Melanie kind of knows what she's got. Like, you know, yeah. she, she basically has sex with Lewis just to draw him in. Um, and, 
I think it's an interesting contrast, though, to to Jackie Brown, because Jackie Brown just draws men in. Like, she has every single man in this movie wrapped around her finger. Yeah. And it's not it's it's not just because she's beautiful. It is because she is so damn in control of everything. And she's just utterly magnetic, right? Like, she yeah. knows, like, even, like, when she's in control, like, the way she handles, like, the cops, like, she doesn't cower from, like, Michael Keaton. You know, like they have a relationship. They go out and get dinner. Like she's working every angle, every angle. And everyone thinks they like know what she's doing. And no, no. And like the only person and like the only person she actually likes, I guess the only way she gets sexualized, right, is at the end, like her and Max Cherry kiss. Right. So like that's the good. But even that, that felt really earned. Like I love that moment. I was like, I literally cheered. I forgot about it when I like when I was watching it. I was going to try and say is like what I love about like Max Cherry, like that particular thing is like she's just like the complete and utter badass and stuff like and like and like totally in control and the only other person that she like really associates with and like likes and finds attractive is like the humble bail bondsman that is also in control of like his small world and you know is like totally aware of what he's doing well that's another and that's why i think robert forrester is so good as max sherry and i want to talk about him too because like not to be reductive but i forgot how damn attractive he is in this movie. And I think it's for the same reason that Jackie Brown is so attractive, just because he is so smart and he's not in control fully because no one's really in control except for Jackie. Um, but he just comes across as just so like kind of competent and he like, he he sees more than, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's like, he's so good in this. And that's why I, I do like that they not end up together, but at least have their that little kiss at the end. Yeah. And I also like, I was trying to think other than Breaking Bad, I don't know a lot of other roles that I know Robert Forrester for. He, Breaking he, Bad was great. Yeah. He was great in that. He was big in like the 70s. Yeah. Right? Like, I'm trying to think. I'm just, let me just pull up his known for right now. Oh, shit. He's in Mulholland Drive. Oh, which is, where? Okay. Uh, which is basically, <laughs> he got that role because of Max Cherry. Yeah. 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 But then I think he got Breaking Bad because of Max. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, no, but he's so good in this. And, and he's I, in yeah. Twin Peaks. So yeah, okay. Actually, he didn't get that role because of Max Cherry. He got that role because him and him and fucking David Lynch go way back. Yeah, but still, this I'm sure it yeah. didn't hurt. Um, also, Bridget Fonda. I, I think she's maybe kind of an underrated player in this movie. Like she's just. I just see her as this kind of. I don't know. This kind of stick that keeps poking and poking and poking and that's kind of her role um and i think i i think she could be written off bridget fonda as like oh any hot blonde girl could play her but i think bridget fonda does a great job in this yeah i think so too and i mean like she doesn't have like a ton of scenes but the ones she's in are great right like even how like petulant she is in her introduction like you get the fall and he's like she just picks it up it's for you and then yeah. like goes and like sits back down and I then just starts footing. I don't want to talk about that scene too much yet until we get into art of the scene, but I love that scene. I think the whole dynamic between uh, Ordell and Melanie, it's just, it, it's this really interesting dynamic of, they're both getting something out of it. Yeah. You no, know. they're using each other. Oh, it's symbiotic, for sure. Uh, I don't even think they necessarily like each other. No. <laughs> they seem to hate each other. And again, before I, I get into it, like uh, Samuel L. Jackson, uh, uh, he has this great, or Dell does, has this great line where he says, I don't trust her, but I trust Melanie to be Melanie. Yeah. And like, it's it's not that deep. It's just the devil you know is worse than the devil you don't, or better than the devil you don't. But it's just like, it's it's this like little unexpected bit of wisdom that really struck me when I watched it uh, a couple nights ago. Um, but great cast. Also, Chris Tucker as Beaumont, really short-lived literally role. Um, 
But yeah, so let's talk. Let's talk prestige versus popcorn. Um, this movie did pretty well. had a had a tight budget of twelve million. Uh, made seventy four point seven million dollars back. That's a pretty solid. I mean, it's the it's Quentin's follow up to Pulp Fiction. That's, so that's like kind of the interesting I think about it is like this is such a humble picture. You know, it's so humble. It's a humble picture, right? Like it's it, it, like. There's the thing now, right, where it's like if you make a banger, like like, and few things are as big as Pulp Fiction. But if you make a banger now, right, you get your blank check film, right? Like mm-hmm. after Christopher Nolan, after Christopher Nolan makes The Dark Knight, he gets a blank check. He makes Inception, right? Like uh, Ari Aster does a couple of good turns, right? He gets Bo is Afraid. You know, um, which is still it's not quite like a bloody it's huge a, blockbuster. It's three hours. It is three hours. It yeah. is bigger yeah. than it is significantly a bigger budgeted film than what he has made previously. You're not wrong. Yeah. You know, and and like all of those all those people, it's like you kind of like succeed a bit and then you get this like monster budget and very few people have as big of a hit as Pulp Fiction and make as small of a picture to follow it up. Yeah. Uh, another example is. Alfonso Cuaron makes Gravity. Big win, right? Love that, yeah. Roma. Yeah, it's true that that doesn't happen a lot anymore. And you really do expect him to make, I mean, you expect Kill Bill after Pulp Fiction. Uh, I wonder if that's kind of why, it's like we were saying earlier, it's kind of one of his lesser appreciated uh, movies. I wonder if it's because the expectations were just so high after Pulp Fiction. That's what I'm trying to say. And I I, I think that's why the the burn after reading analogy is good too, right? Because like, what do you do after you make No Country for Old Men? Right, they make this like quiet little like comedy, that's like very good. I don't know. What, I, no, I, I I'm with you. I yeah. like Burn After Reading. Yeah, I don't know when the last time you saw Burn After Reading is, but that that movie is awesome and it's like good, but it doesn't. It knows it'll never be as loud as No Country for Old Men, so they it doesn't even try. And I think that's exactly what Jackie Brown does. And I, and it's, it's just a movie that like. I'm happy that it, it didn't it, it didn't shoot for the moon because it's just been a slow burn of appreciation for all these years. And now I just like sit back and watch this and I'm just like, this is f-ing tight. <laughs> like it's good. Like, like you every, forget about how like good it every, is. Every scene in this movie is just awesome. I'm I'm almost surprised to hear you say that because like uh, I'm we've talked we were talking about this the other day like you you uh, you're a big proponent of like a, a shorter runtime a reasonable runtime. Do you feel like this earns its runtime? Yes. I actually don't disagree. I think it does. Yeah. I think it does. Because it also spends like, it also spends a lot, like the reason why I do think it earns its runtime because it spends a lot of the time at the, like, at the, uh, at the, at the end, right? Like the climax, like the trade-off, right? And the the thing what that does really, really well, re- well is it it's the shell game. So you get to see the path of each shell and mm. see what happens. And that just takes time because what you're actually doing is taking, you know, like maybe 20 minutes of in real life time, but you're taking that 20 minutes and you're showing it from three different perspectives, which is like about an hour. And then he compresses it down to maybe like 45 minutes. And you're captivated for that entire end because you just want to know what happens to the money. And you get to see, you don't get to see what happens to the money, despite the fact that you see the Billings, you know what happens to the Billingsley bags. And that's what's so good about it. And that's like, so it could be a little longer because it's act three, like it's climax is designed to be long because it's designed to be seen from multiple perspectives. 
It is, and like it's so weird too. Because I was thinking, I was when I was trying to think of what scenes I wanted to talk about. I was kind of just going through the movie in my mind, and it feels like a lot happens, but it also doesn't feel like a lot does. Do you know what I mean? Like it seems like there's a lot of reversals and a lot of changes and plans that are all kind of orchestrated by Jackie. But it's like when I actually sat down and said, and then this happens, and then this happens, and then this happens, it didn't feel like that many chain of events. And I have to say, credit to Sally Mank. Um, you, I feel like you can't talk about her or uh, Quentin without her. Yeah. Um, this movie is so, so well tight. edited. Yeah, so that, tight. Like that, yeah. That's what I'm saying. It earns its runtime. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't feel fat because everything is working. To everything is working for a purpose. Yeah. Again, credit to Sally. Like, she, this is su- it's such a well-edited movie. And I was really, because I was trying to think of, I thought it justified the runtime, and I was trying to think of what I would cut. And I'm like, I don't, I can't think of anything that I would cut. It's just a good, long heist movie. Also, b- bear in mind, like, this this movie is like, what, 2.30? Uh, 2.40, I think. 2.40? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's- Maybe with credits. Maybe without credits, like, closer to 2.30. Okay. Yeah. Once, yeah, that's long. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty long, <laughs> especially for the '90s too. Yeah. Um, but it didn't. It didn't get that much love at the Oscars. It was only. I'm sorry. According oh. to IMDb, it's two thirty. Oh, it is two thirty. Yeah. Okay. Maybe I was thinking with credits. Two thirty-four. Okay. Uh, so I, it, I won't split hairs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that is on the. I think once you hit the two forty mark, at least for me, and this is a totally arbitrary number. I'm sure everybody has their own thing, right? I. We know that I do not. I I do not particularly like long movies. Right. But I think up to 230, I'm not going to ding your points. Once you start getting into 240 and 250, then it starts to become a very slippery slope. Because huh. sometimes I'll see a movie at like 215. I'll be like, really? See, like, I, uh. I won't. It won't turn me off. Like if I see a movie that's 245, I'm going into it angry that it's 245. Yeah, I, I do that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> right? that a lot. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, yeah. I don't go into a 230 movie thinking like, F- me, this is 230. And to your point, it may not earn that 230, but I'm not already mad at it going into it. But I'm usually mad walking into it two hour and 45 minutes. Oh, yeah. When I was walking into my uh, Avatar The Way of Water screening, I was like, oh. And it was, well, I also felt like I had to see that for work, too. (laughs) It was like, man, three hours. I love that movie. I have never. No, I didn't hate it either. I'm going to say this. I I, I think the genuine, and this is totally off topic. (laughs) I think the the genuine magic trick of Avatar The Way of Water, which I, I, fundamentally agree is an excellent film never in my life have i watched three hours of a movie been so totally captivated and then walked out of it and couldn't name one character except for jake sully you could say that about the first avatar i know that's what everyone says but that's what i love about it like that's like i i genuinely think that that's a magic trick because i was like i was wholly captivated and i still can't name anybody yeah. I, I don't know if I could tell you what it was about. I mean, it's like having a conversation with someone for like three hours and then forgetting their name. The second <laughs> when you, you enjoyed the conversation, yeah. you're yeah. like, oh, they're we, lovely. I have great, no idea what we this said. Is, this is, we, I had an excellent conversation. We were totally engaged. Yeah. And then you just like turn around and like, I don't, well, I, I forget who they were. I don't even know. <laughs> I will say to bring it back to this, I feel like Quentin movies are not like that. No, not I, at all. I'm both entertained and I'm like, well, agonizing I couldn't, over I couldn't them. even name the main character of Kill Bill, though. I mean, yeah. It's a joke. I know. I, yeah, I, yeah. I couldn't name the lead character of this one. Mm-hmm. Just kidding. It's Jackie Brown. Um, it didn't get that much Oscar love, though. No. Only, only of anyone to be not, and this is not a slight, I was surprised to just see Robert Forrester. That's it? Not That's, even Best Adapted? Nope. Nope. Wow. Just Robert Forrester for Best Supporting Actor. And, like, don't get me wrong. He deserves it. But, like, come on. Lead actress for Pam Greer. Are you kidding me? <laughs> like, I mean, even Samuel L. Jackson, I feel like, might have 
Yeah, no, this yeah. is a great Samuel L. role. It's great. He's so good at it. And like, I don't I think he's playing a very similar character that he plays in in a lot of other Quentin movies and a lot of other stuff in general. Yeah, but he gets a lot of time here. He does. He's I I, I think would be the second the, lead. He's the antagonist of the film. And he's not a good dude. He's a really good dude. No, he's great. Yeah, but he's very charismatic. Um no, I, this is this. I agree, and I think this is also like this. If you look at the timeline, I mean, this is what got him. Like, I mean, they're maligned now, but the Star Wars prequels. I mean, and are they maligned now? I actually, they I think are they having were, a bit of a. Research. I think they were maligned then. I think yeah. like all these Zoomers grew up just like watching the prequels, and you know, they have the rose-colored glasses that we don't. I think, well, and I also think there's like a certain love for the actors resurfacing, like Hayden Christensen, who for sure, yeah. I mean, he deserves it. But like, I don't, I, like, you have to think about like, Mace Windu, I think is one of the coolest characters in Star Wars. Maybe that's a when, hot take. When is Samuel L. Jackson not the one of the coolest guys? I don't think it exists. Even, you can make the argument that he's not one of the coolest guys in Goodfellas. Cause you know, he's, yeah, he he's just the guitar player that d- forgets to drop off the truck and then, you know, dies. But he's still the guitar player. like. He's just like, oh, yeah, like e- even the mobsters were like, yeah, he's the cool guitar player from the bar. Let's have him drive the truck. He hasn't been. Un- you know what? I'll say like commenters, if you have a role where he's been uncool, tell us, because I can't think of one. Where he's not what was cool. it? Changing Lanes? I think he might be uncool in that movie. Isn't that that movie I with him in like Cusack? But, and he starts off uncool. And but then he gets cool, I assume. In, in uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance. Oh, oh! Yeah, because he's like the nerd. Uh, he's got the glasses, and he's just like yelling at the kids. That didn't even feel genuine. <laughs> he's just yelling at the kids, and then like, then he's in it. Yeah, uh, no, but it's a great Samuel role. Uh, I'm just, I was just so shook when I saw that. Actually, I should have looked this up before then. I wonder if it got any Golden Globes. Oh yeah, so it did. Oh, that's interesting. So like I said, it got um, a nomination for Forrester at the Oscars, but the Golden Globes gave nominations to Samuel L. Jackson and Pam Greer. They got it right, I think. Did they not win though? Oh, they I got a half they, right Yeah, then. yeah, nominations. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so still not quite got it. I wonder who they lost to. I probably should have looked uh, that up. Uh, it, so Titanic is not in the in the Golden Globe nomination. She lost to Helen Hunt for as good as it gets. I. I called no. I don't think that's right. I I, so. She's great. I, I like as good as it gets. But come on, Pam Greer. Come on, Globes. Oh, also, that was, that was a pretty stacked ca- category that year. Uh, Julia Roberts for My Best Friend's Wedding. Uh, Jennifer J-Lo for Selena. Um, interesting category that year. But no, I, I, like, I just can't believe Pam Greer didn't get an Oscar nomination. But uh, critics generally liked it. Although when I was looking up... Uh, uh, reviews. I do feel like there was the Pulp Fiction effect. I feel like it was maybe unfairly not maligned, but unfairly overhyped or whatever it is because of Pulp Fiction. Um, but overall, it was successful. Like, it did well. Yeah. It did well. I mean, it made $70 million on 12. Yeah. When does that happen anymore? And then we got Kill Bill, which, yeah. as I've noted, I love that movie. You make what? $13,000 a year? I make 16000 plus benefits. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, 
Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. So let's talk about some great moments. Uh, so I, wanna, I, I feel like I often start at the very beginning. But it's because this movie deserves to be started at the very yes. beginning. Yes, I love. Okay, you know what I love about this opening sequence? I mean, first of all, it's you immediately get that she's in control, which is something that carries through. Even when she's like doing a little jog, she's like, "Oh no!" It's also just like a beautiful homage to the Graduate, right? Oh yeah. It starts like and like what I like about it is like the juxtaposition of it, right? So it's like static camera, her standing still, and you know, it's just. Like, hello, darkness, my old friend. But they're doing it to, like, uh, 110th Street, like that song. So she's just, like, going against the exact same wall as Dustin Hoffman did in The Graduate. And then, you know, she gets off the walkway and she's, like, walking. And then, like, it starts to get a little more hectic, like she's trying to get to that flight. And then they still keep the shot. But this time, instead of her standing still, she's booking it down, like, down the terminal. And it's, like, still keeping the same framing. But it's, like a very fast pan on like dolly tracks. It's so cool. I just yeah. like how they juxtapose it like that. Well, the other thing I love about this is that it, you don't see her for another 30 minutes after this. I totally lost that. Like when I was rewatching, I totally forgot that she's barely in the beginning of this movie. But like, obviously she's the tight, she's the movie is called Jackie Brown. And I feel like this like intro just kind of sets the stage where no matter what, like have this character in your mind. She's yep. going to come back. And at the end, she's going to own all of this. Yep. Uh, and it's just, I feel like it's just really weirdly, just like very pleasing to look at. Like, I, like, yeah. I mean, like she's just not in like what, four scenes? Because it's basically like, this is Jackie Brown. And then it's like, all right, let's start talking about who Odell Robbie is. And he needs the off Beaumont. Yeah. And then like after they take care of all that, then like she's at the airport getting taken in by um, Ray. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about Ordell, because he has this great little intro, too, I think. That, that whole, almost that whole first act is all him, and it's excellent. Yeah, and that's the thing, like, he is, I, I don't know if he's, I would call him a, yeah, I would call, call him a co-lead with Pam Greer. Yeah. He's definitely a co-lead, and like you said, he's the antagonist. But I, I love this this little opening sequence where you get the, the women with guns, because it just feels like so American. <laughs> You know what's disturbing is like how accurate that like is. I, it still feels that way. Like, you know, 20 years later. I, I, I actually feel like America grew into that. Yeah. As opposed to like out of it. Like, like the NRA does all of these like crazy, like with YouTube and stuff like that. Like there's like an NRA channel and stuff like that. And they do all this like very, very, pretty much that video version of like, go, like, hey, here, like women love guns too, you know, kind of stuff. Yeah, and I, I mean, like, granted, that video is more male gazy because you know there's no reason for like women in bikinis to just be shooting guns, but it's very funny. And like the the <laughs> statue so of, the Statue of Liberty shooting the Tommy gun, 
is incredible. <laughs> I mean, it's true though. It does feel more accurate now than it did then. I mean, it is a, a chicken and egg <laughs> Quentin create America. Um, but it's such a good little scene setter. This this whole scene because, like we said earlier, you get this dynamic between Melanie and uh, Ordell, and. It, it's at first you're kind of thinking that she might be a little subservient to him because I think the first yeah. interaction is him being like, my drink's empty, go get another one. Yeah. And then she does it. But then you have that very pouty, like when she answers the phone. Yeah. And she's like, it's, and she doesn't even tell him who it is. Yeah. She just like pouts, sits there and pouts. And I also like it too, because it's not like, oh, this guy, sell, like, this guy sells guns, right? It's like, it, it, there's a really easy way to do that where you see him sell a gun instead yeah. it's just like hey like he's showing his buddy like look at this video and like he's like giving him the sales pitch on all the guns all the while like they're just pounding screwdrivers and <laughs> sitting by the beach <laughs> it seems like it's, i maybe I sh- it seems like a nice way to, a nice day it's oh, like yeah, it they're like in their little morning. beach house yeah. like watch, watching guns and drinking screwdrivers yeah. but i i do think that whole little location is so unassuming and that's why i like it so much like I think he says later uh, that like Melanie's just his little surfer girl, and yeah. you totally get that from that like this location and that setup. Uh, it's secretly a very good location. Yeah. I feel like so unassuming, um, but you also kind of get to know Lewis is is, and I kind of read him in this scene as someone who kind of just like goes with the flow, is and he basically is like he's, for he's, most he's, of the movie. He's, he is. A, he's like a bumbling, mumbling guy. It's just like yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I'll I'll take it right. Yeah, you know, it's it's great. Yeah. No, I, I really like this. It scene. sets up all three of them and it like ends on the motivation of like that's that serene morning, just like drinking screwdrivers and watching like gun tapes is like, well, ah, f- Beaumont's in jail. I have to work now. <laughs> that's what I got from it, too. I was like, I would be pit-. And then you kind of have the same thing when he like pulls after he bails out Beaumont and then like pulls him uh, out from like his little night of smoking weed and Beaumont's just like, I don't want to, like, I was focused on not doing anything tonight. Honestly, I think that's like one of the better written, overall one of the better written scenes in the film. Because like what I like about that, that scene in particular is like Beaumont just got out of jail. He has to, he's going there to kill him. We may not know that at that moment in time, yeah. right? But like, you may, you may even think it, but you don't know it for sure. Mm. And like, when he, the way that that scene is written, it's written so well, right? Beaumont wants to just sit home and get stoned. And Odell is like, dude, I got you out of jail. I need a favor. And he's like, I don't know. He's like, I got you out of jail. He's like, all right, fine. Well, what's the favor? And he's like, well, I got to go sell some guns to some people I didn't meet. So I need some backup. And he's like, I don't know. He's like, I got you out of jail. So he gets him like downstairs and he's just like, I need you to get in this trunk. And he's like, I'm not doing that. He's like, listen, I just need you to get in there. And just like, when I open this trunk, trunk, rack this shotgun, scare these people and go. And he's, and it takes like a little bit of convincing, but the idea that like the shotgun was there, like an unloaded shotgun gives like, is such a great, well-written way to give anybody a false sense of comfort. Yeah. Cause he's like, well, I'm going to be sitting in this trunk with this shotgun at least, you know, and like puts him in the trunk. And then there's that incredible crane shot, which is like the car pulls out, just makes a U-turn and it just cranes up and you just see the car drive into the dirt, that dirt patch, like that industrial zone. And he just walks out of the car and shoots them all in one shot. And that like real, real wide shot. It's incredible. And that's like the end of Beaumont. And now 
we're like three scenes deep with Odell and you know that he's a gun salesman, right? He has the money to get his friend out of jail and then he shoots them because he knows that Beaumont isn't the kind of guy that could do 10 years. Mm-hmm. It's funny too, because back to what you were saying about, you know, it, do we know he's going to kill Beaumont or like, I, I kind of had that same thought process where I was like, he may be going to kill Beaumont. He may, cause I, I really didn't remember this movie very well. Um, but once he opens that trunk, you're like, oh, he's dead. And I was trying to figure out if, if Beaumont knows he's dead. No, and that's no what he the, totally the, doesn't. Yeah. And, and that's like what the gun does. Yeah. It's like, no, no, he needs me. There's a gun here. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm here for a job. Yeah. And also, like, I was for a brief moment, I was kind of on Ordell's side because I was like, he did just get you out of jail. Yeah. <laughs> like, and that's like the kind of thing. It's like so well written because everything that guy is saying, like everything Odell is saying is totally plausible. Yeah. He could have like I. I can't imagine that like selling illegal firearms is a nine to five job. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's an on demand kind of thing. But that's the thing. You kind of do have to be on call. Yeah. Like, yeah. But like, it, it is funny too. Cause I, I feel like in the beginning of the movie, you just hear the name Beaumont, Beaumont, Beaumont over and over and again. And I think that's part of like the, like, Oh, is he good? I thought he was maybe going to be a big character. Yeah. And also he's Chris Tucker. Like, nope, he's gone. But I, I, and I do wonder too about that scene. Like you mentioned, you have that big wide shot. Kind of back to, you know, this film being the one of the less violent Quentin movies. I kind of wonder how much of that is a response to criticism of Pulp Fiction. Because, like, at a certain point, I think Quentin does just say, I don't give a F and does what he wants to do. But it does feel like so much of this movie is intentionally not trying to show the violence. And I love that shot. But I do wonder, is like, was that him being like, okay, well, I'll do less blood this time. Yeah. So... You know what the interesting thing about it is? Is like I actually think what's like really fascinating about it is is the buildup, right? Mm-hmm. So it's in that scene. It's a very very long shot where it just like kind of lingers as he like drives the car around. When he goes to kill Jackie, and she talks her way out of it, he it's him walking to the house like putting on the gloves and he has like that very distinct way of how he puts on his hitman gloves you know like he puts them on and he's just like pushing down all the gaps in between the well he's a professional he's done this yeah and like that too is a single shot that's tracking from when boom or when odell gets out of the car to jackie's front door so it's like you know the um it's the anticipation of it, which is really good. And I think that plays into the drama of it all. And I mm-hmm. think that's a really good job to play. Like it's it's a really good like haze code level technique of like playing into the in, into the drama of like, you know, Bruce the shark. You don't see the hit, but you understand like, you know, it's kind of scary because like it does su- it does such a good job of like not only telegraphing it, but building the anticipation by like not cutting. Well, that's true though. Cause like, like I was saying, it's, it, it's kind of anyone's guess before he goes in the trunk. And then once he opens the trunk, you're like, Oh, he's dead. And then you're just kind of tense for it. And then there well, yeah, is, yeah. he gets in the car, he puts on the gloves, yeah. you know, he, and then like he pulls the gun out of the glove box and just drives around the corner. And, sh- and then it's like a big wide shot. And it's just, yeah. And it's funny because I, I, when I was thinking about scenes that I wanted to talk about, I th- like this is really the between this and Jackie's introduction. I don't really have that many in that first 30 minutes, but that's not so much a complaint. Like, I feel like the first 30 minutes of this movie are really strong, even without oh, yeah. mostly Jackie not being there. And it is it is because Samuel L. Jackson. And I feel like he's only such I, I feel like he's only so good in this because he's such a, a, a plausible antagonist to 
Jackie, which yeah. you have that has like that says a lot because Jackie, I think, is the smartest character in this movie, obviously. But like he's he's on his shit too. Like yeah. he he knows what he's doing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he. What I like a two things is funny. It's like he has half a million dollars, and I think the movie does a good job of making a half a million dollars seem like it's like he's done. Yeah, I could stop life now. I have half a million dollars. I'm I'm good. I'm ready to retire. Yeah, but like, like. You could retire on half a mil. I think. No, you can't. If you, can you? if you if you live re- uh, well, if you live, it depends how old you are. If you he's live really not modestly, that old. he's in his like forties. He just has like a beach house. He's not in a mansion. Do you think he's not? I mean, he's paying like three rents. I don't yeah. even. I don't even think we know what house is his, right? Because he talks about how he has Melanie in the beach house. Oh, right? that, you're he, right. He has Simone, where Lewis is staying with the woman that does like the. Uh, the Motown dance for him. And then he has the other girl that like the cunt, his country girl that he has up in Compton. And like, remember when he complains, like the house looks like this is some repugnant shit. So he's like keeping up three households. And you mean to tell me that this man is going to retire on half a million dollars? He has investments. He's smart. I think, you know, he could sell the, he has real estate. He could look at it. We don't know that he owns. I I would assume he owns. I mean, I guess if you're selling guns, I feel like we're getting really into the weeds. Um, but like I said, I don't really have any other big scenes up until Jackie's. And I feel like not that much time goes by until we have Jackie, but it is like 30 minutes. Um, I mean, I love that. I love, I agree with you. And I love, I'm, I'm, the Max Cherry scenes are great. Cause you know, yeah. what's, you know what's so good about them is that they're so uh, procedural. Like, this is what Max does every day. Some guy comes into his office, sits down, gives him money. He's just like, all right. And then they leave. Even with, like, even with, even with when um, uh, Odell comes to bond out Jackie Brown, he's just like, well, can we just use the 10 grand on Beaumont because he's dead to, but to bail out Jackie? And he's like, and then Max is like, well, this is all the paperwork I have to go through. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I just try to get her. I was like, great. All you have to do is give me $1,000. That's all the stuff I have to do. <laughs> well, to your point about it being procedural, it does like, it almost does feel like a clip out of a cop show for like half a second. <laughs> like he is just, this is what he does day to day. This is his job. Um, and you really get the idea that Max Cherry is a very like kind of normal dude. But I think, he, I, I, I think you learn that he isn't. I think you learn that he's a lot deeper. And that's what I really like about Jackie Brown, and that's what I like about honestly Quentin movies in particular. Like there are so many well-developed characters. You look at you look at Jackie, you look at Odell, uh, you look at like yeah, Lewis. Everyone's just so well well-developed. Yeah. Like you know Melanie, what, I would say is well-developed. You know what else is fun too, right? When so like when Max uh, bonds out uh, Jackie, and like they go to the bar. Like I'm pretty confident. I don't know this for sure, but I'm. I'm supremely confident that that bar is the exact same location that uh, Marcellus Wallace convinces Butch to throw the fight. I wonder if that's true. I think it is. They the, the bars look very similar. I mean, location. Yeah, I could. Yeah, that could be. I mean, they're Los Angeles movies, you know, that's the thing. They reuse locations a lot. That's why I think it might be plausible. Um, but I do. I want to talk about that bar scene, too, because it immediately like the red lighting. It just kind of immediately throws sexual tension at you. It's like you can tell these characters are are into each other. Um, but this is really where you get to get to see Jackie like do her thing. 
immediately. Um, I like that scene. She's just like, can we go to a dark bar? I don't want people. To, I don't want people. I don't want to look like I just got out of jail. I get it. Yeah. I wouldn't want. I wouldn't want to look like I just got out of jail either. Yeah. Uh, no, but I really like that scene. Why does it have to be dark? Because it looks like I just got out of jail. That's why. There's a lot of scenes in this movie where it's just two people talking in a bar. Um, another one that I really like later is the conversation between uh, uh, Jackie and Ardell, um, where I think he's trying to kind of figure out if if she's playing him or she not. She talks her way into living. He went there yeah. to kill her. Oh, he totally did. Yeah. And there was, by the way, like, not to, uh, well, actually, it was right after this scene where the, the, the apartment scene where, like, he kind of sneaks up on her. Like there's sexual tension in there too. But again, like I just, I'm, I didn't see a moment where Jackie wasn't completely yeah. in control. To your point, right? Like I think one of the coolest Jackie scenes of all time is, and or at least to the character, right? Of how in control she is of the calculated gamble that the she's going to put the half a million under all of her stuff, right? So she's just like, well, how do you know they're not going to check? And it's like, total con man thing which is just like well he expects to see fifty thousand dollars he'll see fifty thousand dollars why would he dig any deeper that is like peak in control kind of that's thing. like psychological yeah. like you know everything they're yeah. gonna do yeah and i and i there's the, that great scene where she's with the atf agents and uh they're really kind of trying to undersell her like as a human being they're they're kind of making fun of, fun of her for being a flight attendant who only makes seventeen thousand a year which with is benefits very, with benefits but that's still very little but it's like even then you know she's just looking at these idiots like oh well i'm gonna play you yeah. like oh it's so good i i i i she might be like now that i've revisited it she might be one of my favorite quentin characters because she's just so she's so goddamn cool um but were there any other scenes in this little this little i mean portion let's see in the middle and eh, not so much it's just like because like every like again it's not that anything does is anything it's not that anything is bad it's just like very procedural right so it's all setting up of like okay here are the players right you got the atf so i have to like sneak around the atf to get uh odell his money but i'm i'm trying to rip off odell as well so it's like put it it's like the middle is lining up all of the chess pieces and like we talk about them because there's like really funny moments in there right like when like lewis is talking to odell about how he felt bad about sleeping with melanie and like there's also but then 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 there's also like you know her working with like with or jackie working with the atf and like that relationship is like really funny because it's like you know they think that they're the tiger well also i don't even think we've said michael keaton's name yet (laughs) who's incredible (laughs) who's so good and it's like i was thinking about this when i was like trying to you know looking at my notes i bring up I was I thought about Michael Keaton so little, but he's also so good in this. And I think it's just because this cast is so obscenely stacked and everyone's so good in it. But like, yeah, Michael Keaton's great. Yeah, he, he's so he's so good in that. He reprises the role and out of out of sight. Yeah, right? like, which is really fun to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like Quentin, Quentin, like, you know, basically made Universal give them a, like allow that character to be used as an uncredited cameo. Just so for, funny no, for to free. me. Just because, just for fun. Yeah. Just Miramax for fun. gave it to Universal for free, just on on Quentin's demand. Yeah, for and, fun. Because he's just time like, he could demand. Yeah, a hundred percent. And just because like Quentin's just like, yeah, Keaton knocked this out of the park. It just this is just a cool Easter egg. It is, and it was. It's yeah. a cool Easter egg. Uh, but no, I, I, it's so fun. The the I feel like they have great comedic uh, 
relief just because the, you just know they're clowns. You know they're so stupid and they think they're so smart, but they're not. Um, but I don't know if I'm jumping ahead. I, I actually really like the scene with Lewis and Melanie where she's kind of, where she's like convincing Lewis. Where to she's needling him and then... Yeah, yeah. Well, but, well, that's the death. Well, oh, yeah, she's yeah. also needle. She's needling the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> like she's oh, when she's in the bathroom like, before they go. No, the the scene where they where they do it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I I first of all, you just get that this character. I I don't think she's stupid, Melanie. I think she is pretty smart, but it's like also a little impulsive because I don't know where you're getting that from. I. It was really stupid to just assume that Lewis would go with her. <laughs> Because I was like, he's shown no no evidence that... Like, I think, I, I agree with you insofar as I think Melanie thinks Melanie is smart. I don't think she's as dumb as maybe she could have been. She's one of three deaths. Yeah, I mean, but, that, but Lewis isn't a total idiot and he died. Yes, he is. Yeah. Uh, who's the other? Oh, Beaumont, Beaumont's idiot, an idiot. Yeah. I don't think Lewis is totally an idiot. I don't, again, I don't know what would lead you to that conclusion. <laughs> Maybe I'm, I'm not saying I'm not saying he's I'm, I feel like they're stupid in comparison to Odell and Jackie, but I feel like they're normal people intelligence wise. So you think they're so you think that bone or I think I think Beaumont is probably OK. Here's my argument for Melanie. Yeah, I think she has gotten a really nice a nice life for herself she she lives i would assume rent free in this nice little beach house she has odell who i would assume is not there much of the time and that's the way she likes it she pretty much can walk around and do whatever she wants she only messed it up because she you know kind of went got greedy got greedy yeah but i think before that she kind of used what she had yeah but is that is it is using what you have in that capacity, like genuine intelligence, like, you know, like alpha level intelligence, or she just kind of like got an easy hand? I don't know, but she also kind of navigates this relationship with Odell, kind of. Because I guess like all I'm trying to say is like, this film weaves an intricate maze, right? Yeah. One person, like one person walks out with, with half a million dollars. A lot of people get nothing. And three people die. And she's one of the three people that dies. I'm just dying doesn't make you stupid. <laughs> doesn't make you smart either. <laughs> but I I think she, I, I will say she knows what she has. And I don't know. Did I, I'm curious. Did you think that Lewis was with her in this scene before they go to the bar with Odell? Because I was, because I was, I went back and forth because I was like, I don't think he's actually with Melanie on this I don't, one. I, I don't think so at all. Yeah. I don't think he's with her at he all. He was always going to sell her if out. He, if, it's not so much that he was always going to sell her out, but like if he was with her, he wouldn't have shot her. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, we learned that later. <laughs> yeah. So I don't think he was ever with her now. Yeah. Uh, it's a it's a funny little scene though. Just the whole like they they're, they have sex and it's the most unglamorous yeah. thing you've ever seen. Like it's not at, to our point earlier. It's not at all sexual. Hey, listen, according to Adele, she's not even really that good at I, it. That made me laugh so much. <laughs> she's not good at it, but she does it. <laughs> I believe he said she'll she she'll throw somebody a fuck, which is yeah. which is a hilarious term. Yeah, I, but that's what she did. She <laughs> she just threw. And him I a think fuck. he said something along the lines of like maybe like yeah. Lewis kind of needed the yeah. yeah yeah he just got out. <laughs> You know, he's just going to hit it in three minutes and call it a day. <laughs> but I, I and I talked about it earlier, but I do really like that scene between uh, Odell and Lewis in the bar. Yeah, that I, seems great. It's great. And it's like, again, I love that line of like, 
uh, I can't trust Melanie, no, but I can trust her to be like, to yeah. be Melanie. And, I can trust Melanie to be Melanie. Yeah, and that's what she did. Yeah. <laughs> she was Melanie about it. Um, but then we have the whole, the whole mall, the D- Dalama mall heist. Yeah, it, I, basically it's like uh, the three card Monty scene, right? Cause it's, mm-hmm. you know, like who has, it's, it's the shell game, right? Like who has the Billingsley bag with the money? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, and like, I, I don't know, like the whole entire time. And I feel like this is where Pam Greer really acts the heck out of this movie. Cause I love when she's, I mean, I'm jumping ahead, but at the I end. I like that you're saying heck, despite the fact that I've been saying throw <laughs> I'm a being considerate to the editors. <laughs> she acts the heck out of it. Uh, Cause you have her like, you have her being very charismatic with, um, God, what's her name? The person who she's like swapping with. Yeah. Um, but then you also like you ha- have her acting frazzled at the end, and you have her like acting like she's just ah. Um, but then also you have this great scene between her and Max, and another line that I really like uh, is he asks or she asks Max, "Would what would like would you take half a million or yeah, yeah yeah half a million dollars?" And you know she, she says it wouldn't be missed, and he says half a million dollars would be missed anywhere. Yeah, half a million dollars will always be missed. It's yeah, so that's good. where it is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's like, and you can tell he's totally avoiding the question too. And she calls him on it. She's yeah. like, you're not answering the question. <laughs> like, it's, I, I love their, it, it's, you never fully get until the end, really, that the walls are really down with them, which is why I feel like the end is so rewarding. <laughs> the little kiss at the end. And even then, I feel like still like the walls are up a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I also do, I, I like that mall scene. I like that it takes place in a mall. Like it's a very 90s mall. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Everything about it is just so unassuming. Um, but that little, the the heist in the dressing room is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's so good. It's just, it's it's so much fun, you know? And like I said, like, even like watching, like, give me the bag, right? Like, yeah. when you see like Lewis and Melanie, like, jostling over the Billingsley bag, she's like, you're going to rip it. It's just like, yeah. And like, again, talk about like, you know, the con of it all that no one looked at the money. It felt right. I know. It felt right. It didn't feel like unbelievable. Yeah. It just felt, it just like that, that is what would happen. Yeah. Um, Someone just threw a lot of Elmore Leonard novels in a box, in a bag <laughs> with a beach towel. <laughs> the beach towel. Uh, but I think I said earlier, I, I still think my, my, maybe my favorite scene in the movie is the parking lot scene where Lewis finally kills Melanie. Cause like, I, I, I kind of, again, I barely remembered this movie when I watched it a couple nights ago. So I, I really, like, I was surprised by certain things. I had a feeling Melanie would die. I just didn't know it would be You bad. had a feeling Melanie would die because she was so smart? Because she was in over her head. I'm not saying she's she a w- genius. I'm not <laughs> I don't think she was an idiot. Well, in some ways. I don't know. I think I she had a good why, thing going. I, I, guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, why would you needle a guy with a gun? Well, that... I think, well, that's, she needled Odell though. Like she constantly poked at Odell. And I don't know if, the, I think there maybe was an implication that their relationship was a little violent. Cause I think at some point he says like, well, why didn't you just, oh, when, after he kills Melanie, uh, Odell's like, why didn't you just punch her? Yeah, why didn't you just hit it? <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, she wasn't shot by Odell, who seems much more like, it seems like he would kill her more. I mean, no, cause like o- Odell doesn't operate under uh, impulse. Like his, his, yeah. his murders are calculated. But that's why, that's why I like the scene because it doesn't seem like Lewis acts under impulse. Like until then, cause it's just no. <laughs> and it happened so suddenly. I literally gasped. It was one of those moments where I was like, Oh, Oh, like, um, 
So that might be my favorite. And also, like, I, I don't know why, but I, I, I laughed a little bit just because it was so, like, out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and it, it's just like... <laughs> yeah. Uh, but then you have Lewis's death. Yeah. Which wasn't... You were beautiful, man. Yeah. You get the, you get the idea that, like, Adele is genuinely kind of heartbroken. Yeah. Like, that was his friend. Yeah. He kind of trusted him. Uh, well, he did trust him. Yeah. And then he was just like... But that was like the, oh, you're stupid. Yeah. <laughs> I hired someone stupid. I hired two stupid. Why didn't people. you just punch her? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the ending of this movie, uh, you know, with with Jackie, you know, getting pulled in uh, to the with the ATF agents, like again, just one last, like she's in control of this. Stop thinking that oh, you're a hundred percent. Yeah, he's got a gun. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so good. Um, before the very last, the very end of this movie, though. Oh, one last thing. Yeah. You know what I very much appreciate? It's yeah. just like, it's just like the fun homages, right? right? So like the beginning, it has, uh, um, you know, uh, the graduate homage. But what I just thought was fun is like, you know, like, so she's waiting for Odell to come, right? And he has the gun in the, in the, in the uh, desk drawer. Mm-hmm. So she just practices pulling it out. Yeah. And it's very taxi driver. Yeah, it is. You know, and it's just like, it's very much the like, are you talking to me without saying it? It's just like, she's just trying to get like the draw down. And that's, you know, a scene that her co-star made very famous like 30 years before. And you could see it's like similar angles and stuff like that. I'm like, oh yeah, this is fun. Quentin likes movies. He likes I, I think he's seen a couple, yeah. I think he's seen a couple, yeah. at least. Uh, but really, the only last thing that I want to talk about is that is the is the nice little kiss. It was like I, yeah. I don't know why I didn't expect it, but I like again. I literally like I was like, yay. Yeah, it's <laughs> also nice. it's also like it's a movie that's like you know like tight and exhilarating the entire time, but it has the good ending. You know, yeah, it has the good ending, and and you don't know if if max and jackie ultimately end up together i don't think they do i think they kind of just go no, their separate, ways. separate ways yeah, yeah i think that's what it is um but it's nice it's it's you know the one kind of real relationship in that movie ended up being jackie and max and it felt like they gave it to us yeah felt like yeah they're like here you go <laughs> i forgot how much i like this movie it's because it's really good yeah i'm glad we're talking about it i'll send you a postcard will you that's your will partner So we've basically talked through this whole movie. Yeah. Uh, should we talk about the movie list? Yeah. Let's do that. Let's talk about what list is on. Yeah. Uh, just one. Our heist movies. Yeah. Honestly, if there was only one list for it to be on, that's the one it should be on. Without question. I think it's yeah. it's just a, it's such a fun heist. You know, like, uh, cri- like she could also be a best criminal mm-hmm. if, we, if we ranked criminals. Because, you know, like, the female criminals are... There's not many. And I don't mean like murderers, you know, like. I mean, there aren't a lot. Because like, yeah. you know, because like you get like there's there's always like the crazy woman, you know, murderer. That's kind of a, a stereotype. But like thieves and stuff like that, not as much. She Jackie Brown stands out as like a consummate hustler that mm-hmm. is just like completely affable, always in control. She's just like. It is a role that if this was a man, it would be like a Paul Newman or Robert Redford role. I and honestly don't even know if I would like it. <laughs> like, I gotta be honest. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not, like, but like she exudes that kind of like energy. 
Mm-hmm. And that's what makes her so compelling. Like she's always in control and like consummately cool at any time. Never seems flustered. And to that point, it was our example of hurdles thrown at the protagonist because she is thrown so many hurdles and just yeah. kind of, you never see her like, I think visibly stress. No. She's just like, all right, let's yeah. move on to the next obstacle. Let's move. She's great. Um, I was thinking about like lists that she could be on that I don't I don't know but like femme fatales. I don't know if that constitutes as a femme fatale, but like there's a lot of, there's yeah. a lot of shit going on there, and like she's goading a lot of people to do stuff, and it's a very I guess what I'm trying to say is it's a very loose interpretation of the term. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say that, and I, I feel like femme fatale usually is not the lead character. Yeah, um, usually it's like a side character, but... and it's usually like the path to someone else, another character's downfall. Yeah. I mean, she is a lot of people's downfall, but <laughs> that's not her main role. Yeah. Um, are there any other lists that this should be on? I don't know. Like, I think of this as a heist movie. Yeah. Um, it's not going to be on like 90s movies because, you know, this is like Quentin's like quiet third, you know. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's not even the top of as much as I have realized I like it. It's still not the top of my Quentin list. Yeah. Um, is. I don't think that this is a black exploitation film. That's a big debate. I, I I don't think it is. It's very influenced by them. Very influenced. But I don't know if this. I mean, it's made by a white guy, so can it even be? I I think I'm trying to think if it's trying to be. Like I don't think I don't it think, is. I don't think it is. No, yeah. I think it's trying to be a Quentin Tarantino movie. Yeah. But like. But the the inspirations are extremely obvious. Yeah. Um. Shall we torf? Sure. All right. Things you didn't know. Now, if you we call this torf here, but this is true or false, I'm gonna I'm gonna read some facts to Cal right. and some will be true. Some I'll just be lying so like Jackie Brown. So they're actually facts. Yeah, they're facts. Yeah. So I'm just going to read them to you and you're right. going to tell me if they're real or not real. Let's go. All right. This movie has the lowest body count of any of Quentin Tarantino's films. Absolutely true. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. So as we've said, only four people die. Four? Who's the fourth? Um. Wait. So you got Odell. You got you got Beaumont, Beaumont you got Melanie, and you got... Oh, wait, no, I mixed and, it up. Yeah, and, yeah. And you got... Uh, yeah, you're right. And you got... Uh, Lewis. Lewis. Oh, yeah, it yeah. is four. It, it is four. four. Um, only nine shots are fired, and four squibs of blood are seen used. Again, we talked about you don't yeah. see a lot of the violence. Yeah. Um, Kill Bill Volume 2 has only three on-screen deaths. deaths. However, it has several characters killed during a flashback scene. So, like... Kind of, kind of a cop-out, but... They're on camera. They're on camera. As yeah. long as they're on camera, it counts. It's still the body count, yeah. you know? All right. True or false? Yeah. Samuel L. Jackson filmed his scenes on the weekend because he was shooting Sphere during the week. True or false? True. You're right. Two out of two. I mean, listen, Sphere was a big budget movie, so I could definitely imagine like that's putting like stories on his house and he's just doing this one to be cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's something he was so in. Yeah. Like, this was his time. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, no, yeah. Being as in demand as he was, Jackson was actually shooting another major movie at the same time as Jackie Brown. Sci-fi thriller Sphere alongside Dustin Hoffman and Sharon Stone. I, I can assure you Sphere is not going to be anywhere near no. this top 100 list. <laughs> it would be really funny if I got really offended and said it was like in my top 10. It's not. Um, however, as Jackson and Terry Tarantino were both keen for him to play Ordell and Jackie Brown. I feel like I mean, there's no way that was going to anybody else. No, I, I like, yeah, who? Like, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, they, they worked around it. Like yeah. that must kind of have been a pain in the butt oh, to I'm work sure. around, like just on the weekends. But I mean, you make of, it work for him. I mean, think about it. It's a $12 million movie. So like how much of that is like Samuel L. Jackson's cut? $12 million. Gosh, I don't know. Yeah. It, 
But if you Sphere, were- $12 million is what Sphere was spending in like a week. <laughs> Remember Sphere? Oh, I want to know what the budget of Sphere I is. I love that his like big commitment was yeah. during the week, during the five days of the week was Sphere. <laughs> quick, no. quick interneting here. Uh, Sphere was $80 million. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And we don't talk about Sphere anymore, do we? No, we do not. <laughs> we kind of talk about Jackie Brown. Um, all right. So you're two for two. Good job. All right. True or false? In order to maintain his character's look in Sphere, previously mentioned, Samuel L. Jackson's character in Jackie Brown also dons long hair and a goatee. So basically, because of the two movies. False. Wait, yeah, you got another one. Yeah, yeah, it was Samuel L. Jackson's idea to give his character the long hair and braided goatee. It was inspired by characters from his favorite kung fu films. I think it works really well here. Oh, I do too. Yeah. It also looks like it. Could, and it also looks weird. You know, like, it, yeah, oh, and I feel like at the end, especially, yeah, you know, it totally works. Okay, you're three out of three. All right. True or false? Yeah. Michael Keaton had to talk Quentin Tarantino into casting him. Really had to sell him on it. False. You're correct. Damn, you're doing, he got, you're doing, you're on he it. Was, I'm pretty sure he was uh, cast and out of sight first, and then Quentin decided to use him in the role because their movie was in production first. But the the glimmer of truth here is not that Keaton had to talk Quentin into it, but that yeah. Quentin had to talk Keaton into it. Um, in the wake of Reservoir Dogs, Dogs, Dogs and Pulp Fiction, most of the biggest stars were lining up to work with Quentin Tarantino. However, Keaton just wasn't oh, that into no, it. I'm, 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 I'm wrong. You're he wrong? Wa- he okay. was cast in de- as detective. Like, he was cast because of the cameo in Out of Sight. Like, out of... S- Sorry. Keaton was cast as Detective Nicolette in Jackie Brown, and then Universal subsequently cast him for the cameo. So he was in, he was cast in Jackie Brown first. Uh, and that is correct. We have live update from Tayo. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, uh, according to Soderbergh's uh, director's commentary of Out of Sight, uh, he felt it natural to include the character, so he called Tarantino, who was still in post-production on Jackie Brown, and he allowed him to see all of Keaton's footage as Ray. So, yeah. yeah. Um, Dang, you are, I believe, four for four. I'm, You're I'm, on it today, Cal. Uh, listen, I'm the only one with this movie on their list. I was so. going to say, I mean, if you were going to get any, like, I guess this would be. Yeah. Um, okay, true or false? Yeah. A full Chicks Who Love Guns sales video was made for the film. Absolutely true. Yeah, and I, I love that it's true. Yeah. I'm so happy. I cannot <laughs> imagine he's like, I'm only going to shoot selects for this. No. <laughs> and you feel like he just did it for yeah. him. Yeah, he was like, this one's for me. Yeah. I need a gimme. <laughs> Uh, no, but uh, while only brief glimpses of the video appear in the movie, the filmmaker shot a full four-minute promo, which was later included in its entirety it as a DVD extra. Deep, yeah, it has which to I be have a bonus never feature. seen, and now I really want to see. It has to be a bonus feature. It, oh yeah, it, it yeah. Um, it was directed by animator and graphics designer Norm Heaven. Sorry, probably mispronounced that. Uh, who also co-wrote the script for the sequence with Tarantino. Cool. So hell yeah, yeah, love that. That's true. Okay, you're on a roll. Let's see if we can keep it going. How many more of these are there? I don't, uh, let's see. Just one. Okay, Just this one. is the last one. Last one. All right, let's see if you, oh, that makes it high pressure. Yeah. You can make it or break it here. Uh, Jackie Brown drew praise from director Spike Lee, who championed the film in the press. This led to the start of a close friendship between Tarantino and Lee. False. <laughs> That's, I couldn't read that with a straight That face. is That is very false. 
<laughs> no, I, I appreciate that one. No, uh, Lee did not like it. Yeah. He uh, uh, criticized Tarantino for excessive use of the N-word, um, to which Tarantino countered as a writer, I demand the right to say any to write any character in the world that I want to write. Uh, yeah, big controversy, big, big oh, old, yeah. Still a controversy this day. Still is, still is. But wow, I'm, good job, Cal. I mean, this is your movie. Got them all. Yeah, got them all. So, so who, win, well, who wins the movie? Uh, I'll tell you who wins it for me. Okay, so we and we I, I, we uh, so we talked about this with In Bruges, and which we ended up giving to McDonough, and it's this kind of debate between do you give it to the director because he drew a performance out of the no, actor? This is all Pam Greer. This is Pam Greer. Yeah, like not this time. Not yeah, the Pam no, Greer. This like, is all Pam Greer. Yeah, it, it is so inarguable to me. Like not that, not that Quentin does, doesn't deserve a lot of credit, but like I, I genuinely can't think of anyone else. Yeah, no, it's all Pam Greer. It's all Pam Greer. And, 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 and like, I mean, kudos to Quentin because there's like that anecdote floating around on the internet that like, like coffee and all of her old movie posters were in his office like when she came to audition and she thought he put them up to like make her feel more comfortable, but in reality he meant to take them down. Oh yeah, yeah. that's funny. But like, like. Talk about like a lull, right? Like Pam, like Pam was famous during the 70s, kind of disappeared for a little bit and then just like popped up in the mid 90s to do this and just absolutely crushed it. Yeah. And she was like, she was Quentin's only choice yeah. as she should have been. Yeah. There was no, there was no one else that was doing this. No one else. I, I cannot think of a single other person who could do it like she did it. No, this movie, I, I think just does not work without Pam. Nope. Uh, I mean, shout out to everyone else, though. I mean, like we said, it's a great it's a great role for Samuel L. Jackson. And to be fair, I can't think of anyone else in that role besides yeah. him. Yeah. Um, but it's just not as essential as as a good Jackie Brown. And and Pam Greer is a great one. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we've we've talked about a lot. I, I think I think it's time for the reveal. Uh, wait, about... wait, whoa, 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 wait, whoa. Oh, my God. I almost whoa. forgot your. Oh, my yeah. God. So who's Nicolas Cage being in this? Oh. I have two options for you. Okay, give them to me. Okay. Option number one, Lewis. A modern Nicolas Cage could probably be a modern or like 2010 to now Nicolas Cage could mm-hmm. definitely be a good Lewis or Keaton. I'm not mad about either of those. A lot of times I am mad about the Nicolas Cage picks. I, I think if you had Nicolas Cage and Keaton combined, that would be too much and the Keaton character wouldn't have been able to stand out because they mm. would have just been both too esoteric to have any one of them stand out. Cause like what's the other cop is good. Cause he's just like a generic cop, which makes the eccentricities of Keaton really stand out and really juices the performance. Where if you had two crazy, if you had two guys being like weird, yeah, you know they would have both seemed less weird. That's so, true. So he either is Keaton, or he is, or we have an older Nicolas Cage as like the Lewis character. So like, I'm not mad about those because, as we just said, I can't think of anyone else as as like Samuel L. Jackson, for example. I could, I think, like, not that they aren't great, Robert De Niro and Michael Keaton. I think you could find other actors for them. Um, I, I, I disagree. I think both yeah. of them are excellent. Oh, no, they're, they're both I, great. Yeah. And I think like that is. I don't a, think they're as nearly as 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 irreplaceable as Pam Greer or no, Samuel L. Jackson. Absolutely not. Yeah. But like that doesn't mean that this isn't actually a really really good De Niro performance. Oh no, it's a great De Niro performance. Um, I like Keaton though. I think, like I could I could see Cage as the Keaton character for sure, the ATF agent. Because like I guess like what I'm trying to say is like even this year, what what year? Copland, right? Mm-hmm. Two for two. So 
De Niro came out with both Copland and this in 1997. And like Copland also has him be a cameo, but like Copland is like a traditional De Niro cameo where he's like the cop and he's like, you know, eating the sandwich, like you blew it, you know, like that is a very De Niro performance. And this, and this film is equally good. Like is, is it also a good movie? And this is just like a De Niro performance you don't really ever see. Yeah. And that's what I like about it. No, I do really like De Niro on this for the record. Uh, If I had to pick, yeah, uh, Cage is Keaton. Just fun to say. All right, now we'll do the reveal. First of all, Cal, where is it on only your list? It's on only my list, and it is number 69. Nice. (laughs) I wonder what my 69 is. (laughs) I really want to know. Um, All right, so... Where does where does sixty nine on where does, one where does, list? Where does sixty nine on Calibro's list get right. you? I love that Tayo filled this with stuff to make it like a money bag. There better be a beach towel in there. Oh, oh no, I want a beach towel. Oh no, it's money. Oh, it's real money. <laughs> it's, but it's not Is real it money. Mar- I think it's monopoly uh, it's money. Fake Can you imagine? <laughs> I have to like sift through all the money. Oh, here it is. Okay, it is two oh seven on the not one hundred. Right. That makes sense. Because I remember for, because in Bruges was my 87 and it was 245, I think. So that makes sense that he put so much money in this. The production value on this show is crazy. 30 grand. (laughs) It's so good. That is a thousand dollar bill right here. (laughs) I can't imagine. This is all fake. Go take this to the gas station. See if they can uh, change it. I mean, that's a pretty good thousand dollar bill. I feel like, wow, our production value here at Cinefix. Through the roof. Through the roof. Um, Usually I would reveal what we're talking about next time, but I think that might be up in there. Maybe there's surprises. Maybe Dan has us on our toes. I'm sure he does. We're always at the mercy of Dan. Um, Story of my life. So with that, also last time I did not thank everyone, which was very rude of me. So thank you to producer Tayo Yankin, uh, uh, Jamie Parslow, he's just over there, Mariah Franzen, Clint Gage, who was not here today, but is here in spirit. And as always, absolutely no thank you to Nam. Like, come on. It's good close. And don't forget to uh, stay tuned to the Cinefix podcast, wherever you listen to your podcast, or like on YouTube, on the Cinefix YouTube channel. We're a team effort here, really. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Hi, I'm S.E., one of the hosts of Bitches on Comics, the most welcoming place for LGBTQ plus folks and women to chat comics, fiction, and pop culture. Bitches are both wanted and encouraged on our podcast. We speak with amazing guests about the media they've created, critiqued, and loved. And you don't have to just take our word for the great time we're having over here. We've been named a Best Comic Book Podcast by several publications, including Book Riot, The Mary Sue, and Comic Book Herald. So tune in and listen to us talk with your faves like Carmen Maria Machado, Amy Chu, Mari Naomi, Anthony Oliveira, and many, many others. Our whole goal is to include more folks in the comic book and pop culture world and to help new readers find comics and speculative books they'll love, with no shade for being new. You can find Bitches on Comics wherever you get your podcasts, and you can learn more at bitchesoncomics.com.